Open your Bibles to Psalm 23. It's right in the middle. Everyone doing okay? Good. It's a good day. The Lord is on the throne. He has removed our sin from us. How incredible. That's, a, that's just the gospel. God is so good to us. Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is famous. It's a beautiful psalm. It's by David. We've all read it before. We've heard it read in lots of contexts. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to read Psalm 23 all together out loud, okay? So I'm going to start us going, but you read along with me and let's read the whole thing. Here we go. Psalm 23, starting at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God for his word. Christine gave us a great uh, testimony a few weeks ago about uh, the Lord showing her about uh, coming to Jesus and feasting on Jesus and having a table presented, in, set before us in the presence of our enemies and its encouragement to us. Uh, we are blessed to have a body who loves Jesus together. And through our experiences all together, we build each other up. When I was uh, back in the days of doing law enforcement, one day I was out and I was on a call and I was um, doing a uh, regular kind of police patrol. So I was a policeman at one time in another world, which I don't talk about a ton because it was wrapped up in all that Army stuff, which I talk about a lot. But, uh, but I was on this call, and I was out patrolling around, and I was the patrol supervisor that night. So I had to kind of just check on things. And the area where I was living is called Fort Polk, Louisiana, and there's nothing there. It's a giant training area. There's thousands of acres and all kind of you know people out living there that were placed by the government. Uh, there were actual shepherds that were out there, like with sheep. They were hired Arabic-speaking native people from the Middle East who just lived out there so that the troops could interact with them and do things in, during their training. So it was, kind of, it was a huge area. It was kind of weird the way some of it was set up. And there was one section of the, of the base that was reserved for training, and there were some barracks that had been condemned. So these buildings, housing units, that had been condemned because of asbestos and other stuff. And uh, they were just sort of out there, just sitting there. And so if you're looking for a place to do crime, a great area is to go to the abandoned buildings that nobody goes to that are dangerous because of asbestos, so nobody goes inside. And so we'd drive through there every once in a while just to make sure nobody was doing anything weird. So this particular night I was out, and it was maybe 2 in the morning, and I'm driving around, and, uh, and I'm in this old asbestos-filled barracks area that are just falling apart. And so there's lots of buildings. They were built kind of World War II era and Vietnam era, and so tons of buildings built fast for a lot of troops and then just in total disrepair. And it was late, and I was alone. And as I'm driving through this area looking for criminals or whatever, I have, you know in the police cars, they have those little lights on the side? that side of the police car, and you can, you can manipulate that inside to look around. So I'm using that to like look around and look between the buildings and do stuff. And it suddenly dawned on me that I've got my police issue pistol. I got this light, and I got a radio, 
And my nearest help is 45 minutes away. Because the base is huge. It's a training area. There's nothing around. And this is a dilapidated, condemned area. Nobody's there. I suddenly felt very alone. And in the midst of that feeling also, I could feel the darkness sort of coming in on me. Because where my light was, I could tell exactly what was going on. But other than that, I had no idea. And so I did what any rational person would do and turn on the lights of the police car. So at least there was a little extra light. It's like being a kid at night and trying to turn on your, your nightlight a little extra bright. I used to have a roommate who, when he was a little kid, uh, tried to turn on his clock radio. And he would, he would flip the little switch. And he noticed that there was a little extra light that came on as a six-year-old. And so he was really happy. And you know, he thought the darkness would go away. But every night at about 12 o'clock, this glaring sound would come. And he couldn't figure out what it was. So kind of like that, I had flipped on the lights, and I've got the lights going, and I'm looking, and I couldn't see anything. And not to spoil the story or be anticlimactic, but nothing really happened. I'm driving around in the dark, but man, I felt alone. I felt the darkness. Have you had times in your life where you've felt the darkness? Maybe things have really happened. Maybe it's been a traumatic experience or a bad time, or things have happened that have been terrible or bad memories. Maybe nothing happened. Maybe it was just darkness. It's like when you're trying to get in your house and you can't get to the keys fast enough because you don't know what's in the shadows. Isn't that a weird feeling? It's a weird feeling, especially when you know that help is far away. Nowadays, we have cell phones and all these things that give us the illusion that we're very connected and that people are very close. Do you remember what it was like to take a 12-hour road trip with nothing but keys and gas in your car? Totally different. Today, if you, don't, if you go somewhere without your cell phone, you feel vulnerable, don't you? If you forget it at home, you feel vulnerable. Not just disconnected, you feel vulnerable because it's this lifeline of safety, but it's an illusion. Because the reality is, even if you call somebody to come, how long will it take to get there? Unless you have a partner with you, unless there's somebody who's got your back, we're kind of in trouble. We all know what that feels like, don't we? Here in Psalm 23, David is in kind of a low point of his life, really. He's had a lot of terrible things happen to him. He's had great victories, too. He's had ups and downs that are worthy of a king. And as he is writing the psalm, he's remembering the God who is comforting him, who is with him. I love this psalm. You know, we read it all the time, don't we? I want to read it today with some new eyes because it's different to think about this psalm in the context of real life and real situations than it is just to read it and try to feel better. Here's what I mean by that. Why is it that David is longing for God the shepherd who lies him down in green pastures and leads him beside still waters? You, you can feel this, this feeling of a desire for rest through the whole psalm, can't you? And that God is accomplishing that, but you also feel this feeling of walking through the valley of the shadow of death and being in front of your enemies. And there's this assurity that comes in the psalm, but there's also dangers all around it. And David is feeling what all of us feel in terms of being alone and the darkness kind of crowding in. I want to take us back, though, to where that started. How did that happen? What does it look like? Why did life start off in this trajectory where there was darkness? And it was Adam and Eve in the garden. Do you remember in Genesis? God created Adam and Eve. They were his people. He made them. They were going to be rulers of his creation. And very quickly, what happened? They sinned against God. And that sin we talked about last week, sin is disobedience to God. They disobeyed his word. He had told them to do something and they didn't do it and they failed in their call 
And so in their sin, now they receive judgment. Why did they have to receive judgment? They receive judgment because God is just and he's holy and because he does not just overlook sin, but instead he comes and he deals with it. And so God shows up very graciously, actually, to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve have sinned, and the first thing they do after they've sinned is they sow some fig leaves for themselves because they realize they're naked. And then what do they do? Do you remember? They hide from the presence of God. Isn't that a funny thing to do? And God, listen to God, how God is so gracious to them. God comes down. He usually walks with them in the day. And so whatever that exactly looks like, he comes down and his presence is there. And instead of saying, I see you, Adam, what are you doing? What does he say? He says, where are you? Do you think God who created Adam can't see him? He knows exactly where he is. It's kind of like a child. Have you ever had a child hide like this? It's, it's like that. And so God comes and he says, where are you, Adam? What are you doing? And he said, well, we were naked, so we hid. Because who told you that you were naked? God knows everything that's happened. But God's judgment comes. God brings his judgment on sin. He had told Adam and Eve, if you sin, if you disobey, you will surely die. And death comes really quick because God takes some animal skins, so blood is shed. He covers, like we heard about this morning already, Adam and Eve. He clothes them in the animal skins. He pronounces his judgment on them that they are going to die. He also gives us this promise that we already referenced this morning, that he's going to do something about it, that he's going to bring a son who's going to deliver the people. And then he takes them out of the garden. And when they go out of the garden so that they can't come back in, their home, the place they've ever known, what does God put in front of the garden gate? Do you remember? An angel with a flaming sword to guard the way back to the tree of life. Now, we've heard that story tons of times, right? We know the story. It's been in our minds. I want you to take just a moment and think about if you are Adam and Eve. You've been clothed with skins. You've never had skins on your body before. Not your skin. They've had their skin. But animal skins now. They're clothed for the first time. They've been ushered out, like a parent pushing a child out. They've been ushered out of the garden. It's all they've ever known. It's the only home they've ever lived in. They have never, ever, ever been on a camping trip outside of the Garden of Eden. They've never, ever been outside of the place where they've been in God's presence where he has provided everything that they need. They've never, ever known what it's, what it's like to be on the other side of the fence and in the dark because there is a flaming angel with a sword. That's scary. They're outside of God's grace. They're outside of paradise. They're outside of his presence. They're outside of the covering that they can feel from God other than what he's just put on them. And God, in his mercy, he is providing for them. But he told them, now thorns are going to grow, things are going to be hard. As you work to get the fruit of the ground, it's going to be toil, sweat will drip from your head, it's going to be difficult. And they've never known that before. They've only up to this point known the ease of walking in unity with creation. It's never worked against them before. Have you ever been on a camping trip and something happens and you don't know what it is? You hear a sound, you feel a rustle, you see something move in the grass, 
What's the first feeling that you have? Is it, this is great, I love camping. <laughs> Not usually, right? Sometimes, sometimes, if you're looking for a certain thing and you see it, great, elation. But not always. The first feeling is, what is that? Why, why do we feel that way? Because there's dangers at every corner. Everywhere we go, it's scary. We don't feel the, the comfort that we usually feel of being in our own homes. Every shadow presents an opportunity for something to happen to us. We're insecure. And I don't mean insecure in ourselves. I mean insecure in the sense of if I'm in my house, if I'm in my car, if I have my light, if I have my pistol, if I have my badge, I'm good until I realize nobody's here to help me. And even the things that we think we can have security in to keep us safe kind of just go away really quick. Beyond that, we don't even know what to do. Think of Adam and Eve. They've never had to farm like this before. They've never had to go on a road trip now with a wife who's angry and a husband who's done the wrong thing and a guy who's too prideful to ask directions. They've never had to deal with that before. But now they're on this journey going somewhere to do something just to survive away from God's presence. And all the conflict and all the brokenness and all the junk and all the dangers and all the scariness and all the shadows is new to them because they've never, ever felt it before. Could you imagine the terror? Could you imagine the pleading with God? The crying out to him? Here's the worst part. He doesn't answer you anymore. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I didn't think it would be like this. God, I'm so sorry. Lord, let me back in. I, please. And what does God say? He says nothing. Why does he say nothing? He's already spoken. He doesn't need to answer again. That's why he put the angel there. Now every time they come back, I'll just maybe he'll let me in today. Think that angel's going to have a different answer? Never. This is why the covering will last for a moment, but it's not enough for a lifetime. It's not enough to know security. It's not enough to know what real life looks like. And so what does David say? David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. What is he talking about there? Restoring my soul. It's not just an idea of he gives me new strength. It's not just an idea of he's the one who builds me up when I'm low. It's not just an idea of he heals broken hearts and pains and he restores me that I can keep going every day and I give just enough that today I can make it through and cope. David's talking about a much bigger concept. He's talking about that because the, the context is that he, leads being, he is being led, in verse 3, in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is not just the kind of restoration to make you feel better. This is the kind of restoration that puts you on a new trajectory, that changes your life into a path of righteousness, that moves you forward into the way that God wants you to go. It's totally different. The problem is we can't get back in the garden. And these dangers, they seem to lurk everywhere. So what is God's solution? What can we possibly do? And the solution is that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. It's one thing to call on God and say, Lord, I need you. It's another thing to know that God is actually with you all the time. That he doesn't leave you, he doesn't forsake you, he doesn't 
go back on his promises, that what he says is true. And we know from the truth of the gospel that God was going to send one better than David, the champion from the garden who would take us from the outside and not just bring us back in. Notice we're not all just walking back into the garden today. We're not searching for this archaeological fact that if we can somehow find the gate that God removed the angel and now if you can just get there and find the tree of life, which has been in every culture, this myth of the tree of life that if you can just get to it and find it, that somehow you're going to be able to live forever and things will be good. And the reality is there is a true tree of life. There's only one, but there's an angel forever guarding it because that way is closed now. And God in his justice and his holiness and his bigness said, you cannot come into my presence anymore because of your sin. And there's no hope and no way without God's restoration, without him bringing us back himself, that he would restore our souls and that he would save us. And more than that, because we can never go back in and find that one location that's going to save us, it's not a location anymore. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus, who would be the one to be with us. We were distant from him. We were taken away from his presence. By our sin, we were pushed out of the garden, and it was our fault. But it was by his grace that he came to be with us. And so God's solution was to send his son, Jesus, who would be born of the virgin, who would be born in humble, humble estate, that he would become the pathway, not just for us to come back into Eden, not for us to find that location again, but that now God would actually dwell with his people so that in every area that we go, in every place that we go, we can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He walks us through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, as I think about this passage here, Walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it really strikes me sometimes that God doesn't stand on the hill above. In the valley, he's not on the mountaintop as we're going through the valley watching us. He's not like got us on a leash. He's pulling us along. He's actually with us. You know, most of the time, a lot of our prayers are, Lord, bring me out of the valley. Lord, just transport me away. Get me out of here. But God in his mercy actually brings us through the valley. And he stays with us. The psalmist goes on to tell us that he is not only with us, but his rod and his staff, they comfort me. You know what a shepherd does with a rod and a staff? They move the sheep along, right? So shepherds have a couple sort of weapons in their arsenal, not many, but the rod and the staff specifically are used especially to move the sheep. So David, we saw, this same David, when he fought with Goliath, did he fight with a rod and a staff? He didn't. He fought with a slingshot. So there are other things that they used. But in this case, David is saying, the Lord's rod and his staff, they comfort me. Why? Because God is using those very tools to move us forward. We're like sheep with him. We're right next to the shepherd. You're not a sheep who's in the middle of the herd and God's with me, but he's way back there and I can't find him. I actually feel his rod moving me. Sometimes it's even like, hey, keep going. Oh, hello. And it's the Lord moving us. But he's there. It's him. I can, I can hear his footsteps. I can see him. I bump into him sometimes. I'm, he's moving me. He's guiding me. Look out for this rock. He hooks me. That's what God's doing here. Because he's with us. How is he doing that? He does that through his son, Jesus, the good shepherd who came, who died for us. Here's the incredible truth. All of us who are due the wrath of God, the Lord turned his weapons upon his own son, upon the good shepherd, 
out of love for the sheep. Jesus Christ took our sin upon Himself. And the very things that are our comfort, the shepherd's weapons that move us forward, the Father turned on the Son that the shepherd himself would take the punishment for our sin that we might know the gentle correction of his rod now, that we might know him with us moving us forward in peace. It's incredible to know Jesus. Here's what I want you to get today. If you know Jesus, if you've submitted your life to him, if you've said, Lord, forgive me, Lord, I want to walk your way, Lord, I know that I had walked in sin, but I know that you died for me, and so I, I lay my life before you, Father, as you sent your son to die, that he would be not just the covering for my sin, but he would bring righteousness to me. And he didn't stay dead, but he rose again. And since he rose again, his life is a guarantee of my life. Lord, I trust you. I trust in his death and resurrection. If you've said that to Jesus, the word is very clear that he is with us. Jesus said it this way, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so that same good shepherd who's alive today, who rose from the dead, he is still with us and shepherding us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't abandon us. And yet many times in life we feel the darkness crowding in. We feel alone. We feel separated. We feel the dangers. We feel like we're out somewhere with people, no help. That's, people are far away and there's no one to help us. Other times we feel like we're going through life and we can feel like Adam and Eve, so distant and that there's no way back and we're just out in the middle of all the shadows and we don't know what to do. And the reality is that God has sent his shepherd who died for us, who rose again, who now is leading us and who is with us forever. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And so every time we walk through the unknown, he leads us. Every time we walk into dangers, he protects us. Every time we feel the fear of life, he comforts us. This is what the psalmist is talking about. It's not just that God is showing up in some kind of uh, wish-making grant that he's going to help David and, and make him special. Instead, he knows this relationship with God of walking with him and that the shepherd is with him and moving him forward. He knows that God is with him and is going to bring him peace. Do we trust our own weapons? I remember sitting in that police car and thinking about what I would do if something really bad happened and how fast I could drive out of there. How, how quick could my Chevy Impala get me out of that situation? It's pretty easy and pretty quick to put your trust in your car. We do that all the time, don't we? Drive in a place where you suddenly feel uncomfortable somewhere. What do you do? I'm going to lock that door. I'm safe as long as I'm in my car. That's, it's a false sense of security, isn't it? It's a car. It's got windows. The lock's not going to do that much. But we put our hope into it. I know if I can take my security in my own hands and you know, I'll, 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 have, I'll have weapons with me all the time, that will save me. False sense of security. I know if I can just have the right security cameras, if I've got the latest technology, if I have all the right apps on my phone, if I can monitor everything, I'm monitoring my credit, I'm monitoring my living room, I'm monitoring my front door, I'm monitoring my gas bill, I'm monitoring everything. I know I'm good. I have the best financial planner anywhere. If the recession comes, if it happens, if all the predictions come, I'm going to be safe because I've, I've been secure. I've, I know what I've done. How, how can we put security in any of these things? But we do all the time, don't we? We put our security in our bank account. We put our security in how 
we can secure and comfort ourselves and protect ourselves. We put our security and our trust into what we can do rather than what he has done. The truth for us today is this. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. He is leading us through the unknown. He protects us through all the dangers. He comforts us despite any fear. And if we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we can feel it all around us and it's dark and it's scary and we feel outside of everything, look up and see the shepherd. He's there. He is with you. He's not left you. Feel his rod and his staff moving you forward that he has come and he is moving you ahead. And instead of saying, Lord, be with me. Lord, help me. Lord, I need to see you. Lord, I need you now. Instead, just say, Lord, I trust you because I know you're here. Lord, you clear the path and I'll walk wherever I feel your rod move me forward. And trust the shepherd. He is with us. He is with you. He will not let you down.